Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we sit down with Greg Foss. Nick and I chatted with him, I wanna say a couple months ago now, but he's always just a wealth of information, a fun guy to sit down with, totally passionate about what he's discussing. So we brought him back in. His Twitter handle, I'm gonna share that with you now because he shares so much good information on this episode. You may wanna reach out to him and ask him some questions. You can reach him on Twitter, at Foss Greg Foss. So that's his last name kind of repeated twice in the Twitter handle. It's at Foss, F-O-S-S, Greg, G-R-E-G, Foss. F-O-S-S. So at Foss, Greg Foss on Twitter. If you listen to anything and you have questions for him, you can reach him out on Twitter. And the reason I'm sharing that is there's a nice little Twitter community starting to brew together with a bunch of Canadians all each other, asking each other questions and sharing information. So a great guy to get to know. He has been in the credit markets here in Canada for over 30 years. So when we get to sit down and get his opinions on banking, Bitcoin, the bond market, what's going on with the Canadian economy, what's his, what are his thoughts on the global economy. It's really fascinating to us because Nick and I get to challenge some of our own thinking with somebody who's been in the markets for three decades. So we're just super grateful that he came back on to sit down and chat with us. We'll likely have him on again. You can reach him on Twitter at Foss, Greg Foss. And if you are listening to this and you're thinking you want to get into some of the things that we're doing with Rockstar Inner Circle members and investors right across the GTA and Golden Horseshoe and use real estate to produce another stream of income for yourself, you can check out everything that we're doing at www.rockstarinnercircle.com. We have free reports on that website. We have free books that we give away on that website. We have a bunch of videos that we're constantly uploading on that website. And about once a month, we do a virtual 90-minute training class where we share the different strategies that we're using with investors right here locally in the GTA and the Golden Horseshoe to create income streams in all the different communities with all the different property types. So everything from second suites and duplexes to straight rentals to uh, to student rentals to uh, doing conversions and flipping properties. Although we're not doing too many flips right now, everybody wants to buy a good property and keep it forever. That's basically the trend over the last few years for sure. So if you want to get some exposure to what we're doing with Rockstar Inner Circle members and investors in the GTA and Golden Horseshoe. You can check out a bunch of information on the website. If you want to come to the free virtual training class that we're hosting now that used to be in person, but now it's online, you can sign up for that as well at www.rockstarinnercircle.com. We truly believe that over the next 10 years, that if you have income streams and hard money, so hard assets that create income and some hard money for your savings, it's going to be a very powerful co combination. And that's exactly what we discuss on this episode with Greg. Let's get started. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live. Nick, you're good. You can hear me, right? Loud just, and clear. Just, okay, so we're here with at Foss Greg Foss. I don't know if I, I feel like you're becoming known as your Twitter handle instead of your legal name. It's, Greg. It's, so Greg Foss is here with us. And, uh, but that Twitter handle, I think, is catching on. I will take it. Yeah, 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 totally. So listen, before we get into things, tell us about it. We're, we're recording this on Remembrance Day. You sent the coolest picture over of your, gran of your grandfather. Can, can you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, thank you for, uh, for noticing and bringing it up on an on a important day. Um, 
so my granddad was uh, in both world wars. In the first world war, that was a picture I sent to you, though. He was um, a fighter pilot with uh, a station in Italy. And so that picture was him standing beside his plane in Italy. Um, it's called a Sop with Camel. And the Sop with Camel is actually the, uh, the Snoopy plane. Have you ever seen Snoopy when he uh, fights, yeah, the red, yeah. fights the Red Baron? So he had a Sop with Camel. Um, he was a fighter ace, which meant you had to shoot down more than five enemy planes. Um, so he, <clears throat> he was quite decorated. He actually won the, uh, the order of the British empire, which is a very, uh, distinguished medal. That's, uh, I think they, they may have awarded maybe around 2,500 of them, about 800 to, uh, non British citizens. So my dad, my granddad was one of 800, but perhaps the coolest story I can share with you guys is, um, I grew up with a German machine gun in my basement because my granddad, one of his confirmed kills was he had a German fighter pilot in his sights and they're open cockpit planes. And the German pilot put up his hands as if to surrender and pointed at his gun that had jammed. And so my granddad says, okay, points to the ground, go down, they land in a field in Italy and the fighter, the enemy fighter gets out with his pistol in the air and drops it on the ground, and my granddad runs over and rips the machine gun off the front of the German fighter plane, throws it in the back seat of his sop with camel, takes the, takes the pistol from the German pilot, disarms him, they shake hands and say, okay, next time we'll ki- kill each other when both sure, of us unfair are... Terms, unfair unfair terms. terms. So that counted as a, it counted as a, uh, a confirmed kill. Um, and, uh, we grew up with this machine gun in my, in my, Jesus Christ. so this was a beautiful piece of machinery that was so really this, just this machine gun. Was it, what city is this, that this machine gun was residing in? It was in Montreal. So that's, that's where my, so what happened was my granddad passed away. Uh, we moved into, uh, his house that he had constructed that my dad grew up in. So this, this machine gun was in, in the basement and we're like, well, it doesn't belong here. And we donated it to the Canadian war museum. So it's, uh, but it was a beautiful piece of, uh, yeah, I think it, I'm, I'm going to say Luger, but it wasn't, but imagine the German, uh, the, the, uh, you know, um, maker, you saw all the beautiful, uh, it, it was a, a work of art to, to the extent that a gun, you, you can really appreciate it. as an engineer. You, I could definitely appreciate the, uh, the engineering that went into the construction of that, uh, and so now it's at the Canadian War. Think about his life and think about your life. Not that I don't know everything about you, Greg, but I'm, you know, being growing up in Montreal and living here and what he went through. Can you imagine? So it's it 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 brings you back to reality a lot of times, no question. Hmm. How do we segue from that to a Twitter war with Peter Schiff? Like this is like him. There's, how do we how do how do we make how do we make the segue from that? Well, you don't you don't. I will say I I will say this. Um, yeah, it, it puts things in perspective. So we, we did look at that Twitter war. Yeah, I, I don't I, want to make more of it than it no, was. No, no, but it, it's fun for me. I just want to say, because you're, you're, you're an interesting character. So you, what you did is you sent... You sent Peter Schiff, who, if you don't know Peter Schiff, he's a big gold guy. I actually like the way Peter Schiff debates and argues. He stands up for what he believes in. Nick and I have been uh, big gold guys over the years. So I kind of admire the guy and the way he presents his arguments. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I don't understand where he is not seeing some of the value in Bitcoin kind of baffles me. Because if you come from a gold background, a lot of the things that makes you like gold, you almost like better about Bitcoin. So for him to kind of have his heels in is, is a little interesting to me. But you did this thing where you sent his son um some bitcoin and he responded to you correct um 
before I sent the Bitcoin, though, I said his, his son's name Spencer Schiff. I go, Spencer, yeah, I said this in a tweet. Uh, admit you will have a Bitcoin wallet. Admit you own some Bitcoin. <laughs> and he did. He responded, I actually own $450 worth of Bitcoin. I'm like, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm not even certain. Yeah, there that, it is. I already okay, have on August 26. Yeah. I'm like, is this a bot? Am I being trolled? Is this actually the truth? But I said, I ran with it and I said, okay, well, fantastic. Uh, I'm sending you $20 worth of Bitcoin. Well, so look at the person who responded to that saying, imagine shielding gold for your entire life and your kids buy Bitcoin. Correct. So Jeez. it really, it started a pretty big, uh, big thing. So, so I did send him $20 worth of Bitcoin and then Peter responds uh, to everybody. Sometimes you have to let your kids make their own mistakes so that they can learn from them. He traded out of his Bitcoin at 19,000 back in 2017. So he's playing with the house's money. He's still ahead on the trade too, but I think he's pressing his luck too far. So I, uh, I actually responded to Peter Schiff. He is actually playing probabilities at Peter Schiff. If Bitcoin has a 5% chance of 1 million per coin as per fidelity and a 95% chance of a zero, the expected value of this binary distribution is $50,000 per coin today. I said, buy. The kid is a smart investor. Nobody can be 100% certain. And then I responded, fiat's melt. So Peter Schiff comes back to me and he goes, the chance of Bitcoin going to 1 million per coin is not even close to 5%. So your expected value is much too high. He's not that good an investor yet. He's only 18 years old. What's your excuse? So anyway, we don't have to it's go fun. into this. No, no, but, but that's but fun stuff. Let's face it. Was it. I mean, when and, it's and all in good fun and there's no so personal I will, I will say this, okay? Peter Schiff, yes, I know he gets it. I believe that it's partially marketing motivated that he can't embrace Bitcoin because his whole his whole thing is gold, right? His mm -hmm. whole his whole investment management business is gold. If but the world's big enough for a lot of different things. I don't think everybody's selling their gold tomorrow. I will agree with that. I will just say this, ladies and gentlemen, always remove emotion from an investment or a trade. Okay, you cannot let emotions get involved when you are wrong. You have to turn around and admit your mistake and patch the damage that you've made. If you continue riding a losing bet, it's a surefire way to lose your fortune. Okay, so just on that, because I have a different question for you sure. to start that I thought sure. I was going to ask you first, but because you brought up the if you're wrong comment there, mm -hmm. Nick and I have been talking about this a lot. Like, where are we wrong on the Bitcoin analysis so far? Like, we are looking at it as some of the most beautiful form of hard money that we've come across. Before it was gold and silver. Silver lost some of its monetization through the 1800s and definitely through the 1900s. N now, you know, it seems like Bitcoin's really kind of superseding what gold really brought to the table. And we are believers in Bitcoin. But then both of us are looking at each other like, what are we missing? Where are we going wrong? Where are we screwing up? And I know you're a believer in Bitcoin, but if you had to mm -hmm. poke a hole, mm -hmm. what is your biggest thing that you think maybe you're missing with Bitcoin? Um, I'm throwing you... I, I, like I, to, I like to play probabilities. Uh, that's always how I've managed, uh, managed risk in my life. And... It gives me comfort to know that I can be 95% wrong in my worst case scenarios. My worst case scenario is Bitcoin going to zero, okay? Um, I don't actually think it would ever go to zero, but let's just use sure, that as your fair. downside. Um, if you accept that my upside could be higher than $1 million of Bitcoin. So I try and say, look, yeah, there's a lot of things, you know, quantum computing. Am I a quantum computing expert? No. 
I'm assured that Bitcoin is not in danger from quantum computing, but you just never know. Governments closing down Bitcoin. Yes, it's very difficult to do, if not impossible, but it certainly would impact the, the price if the U.S. government just out, outlawed Bitcoin right now. These are risks, but again, it's you're playing with an asymmetric return distribution that is so in your favor. That Where are you, you getting the million dollars from? So, I mean, I, I ran through this with you last time a little bit, and I'll repeat it. I can actually get to $2 million quite quite easily. Money, let's, let's do this money one. Money supply or percentage? Well, no, 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 you meant per percentage of total global financial assets. You remember we ran through this one? Yeah. I, I probably do. I just Okay, so just let's let's refresh. Okay, total global financial assets in the world, U.S. $900 trillion, including real estate. Massive number, $900 trillion. Real estate, okay. I think, is 250 of that or yep. 300 something yep. like 300. that. 300 yeah, Okay, yeah. so $900 trillion. Let's just assume... Uh, not assume, let's just for uh, uh, example purposes, that Bitcoin gets 5% of that market. Not outrageous if Bitcoin does become a world reserve currency like I think it could. 5% of 900 trillion is 45 trillion. 45 trillion divided by 21 million Bitcoins, hard-coded, yeah, hard-capped, yeah, is over $2 million of Bitcoin. Okay, um, that's a 5% chance. So what then the argument just becomes, okay, are we pulling numbers from the air? But but to build a probability scenario, we have to do have some analysis. Yeah, we okay. need something to start so from. So I'm going to start with something that's really neat that we didn't have the last time. We didn't talk about. Total U.S. unfunded liabilities in the U.S. government. Okay, Medicare, Medicaid, all this stuff. $157 trillion just in the U.S., if Bitcoin were to So for get, clarity, just on that comment, mm -hmm. just so everybody's aware, the reason that that number is not discussed a lot is the uh, Congressional Budget Office in the U.S. thinks that because those things aren't due and they don't have yeah. to pay some of that Social Security, they don't have to account for it currently. But, the, and I know you agree with this, no. but that stuff's coming due. It's just not always repeated as a number. Don't, I actually don't agree with it. It's, it's accounting gibberish, okay? Oh, no, but, yeah, and yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Mm -hmm. okay. I'm agreeing with you that it's accounting gibberish, mm -hmm. but I just mean that's their excuse. They, they say we don't have to put this on okay. our books because, you Correct. know, we're not oh, yeah. paying oh, this yeah. out yet. But Nick and I have been calling that out for sure. years okay. that this is all a disaster. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's old. It's People are counting on it. People are counting on that. So $157 trillion, Nick. One, and this is a Gunlock number. That's Jeffrey Gunlock, if you guys uh, know who yeah, he yeah. is. A famous, I, I, a famous bond investor, West Coast okay, bond I've investor. Okay, I've forgotten who he is. Um, so, what, sorry what about this, ringing? guys. This that's is like, that's, that sounds like an urgent call. <laughs> if, if, a, if your phone rings like a cricket, that's so, an urgent phone call. So, you know what the funny thing is? I just got an Apple Watch, and I don't even know how to turn yeah, this yeah, thing like off. Yeah, yeah, that's like us. Yeah, that's fine. Just like, <laughs> sorry, guys. The hammer. The hammer yeah, makes yeah. a client. <laughs> so, anyway, so basically... Um, uh, 157 trillion. Let's do some math on that. What if Bitcoin was worth 10% uh, of unfunded liabilities? You just pull a number out. 10%. That's 15 trillion. 15 trillion divided by 21 million. Again, you get like five to seven hundred thousand dollars of Bitcoin. The numbers are mind-boggling because the debts that have amassed around the world are mind-boggling. So what has to happen? So like I'll I'll, I'll go for, on the flip side because what has to happen for that? So let's say we're going to use the 900 trillion mark. Because we're, we're looking at real yep. estate, uh -huh. uh, you're calling that financial assets, which uh -huh. some of it is financial assets, but some uh -huh. of it's actually like people living in the home. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of a financial it's, asset, yeah, but it's yeah. also a need because yeah. they need a shelter, yeah. right? So, but, but regardless, it doesn't, uh -huh. I'm, not, I'm not arguing about the amount, but so then what has to happen in the people's psyche or to society for people to understand like, hey, this makes enough sense for me to take, I don't care if it's 10 bucks or 100 bucks. Yes to start getting some of these funds there? Or does it not even matter what happens there because so much is run now by big 
conglomerate banks that as soon as those banks say, you know what, there's some upside here and we might be able to ma manipulate the market. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is manipulating mm -hmm. the market, whatever. We're going to start dumping some funds there. That makes that change. So, because there's got to be a psyche change. Okay, so for it to my happen. biggest one, I think, that's going to happen. So the typical, you guys are knocking off things that I wanted to talk about one by one here, just normal progress, is... The typical investment portfolio historically has been about 60% equities, 40% bonds. Okay, that's just the 60-40 book. And right now, in uh, fixed income, the 10-year U.S. rate's right around 1%, okay? There has been a bull market in bonds for 40 years, yeah. 40 years, which means anybody managing money in fixed income right now has only known one-way direction of interest rates, which is lower. Now, interest rates can go negative, which I believe is one of the biggest farces in the world because then it's not an investment, it's actually an expense. But the 60-40 portfolio itself is gone, okay? Bonds are no longer gonna produce capital gains. They may produce income of the form of 1% in the form of U.S. Treasury debt in, in, over a 10-year period, but- Even if rates still go lower, though, the bond, the bond okay. is- I need to bring up two two words that I don't want to lose any listeners here. Um, bond convexity and bond duration. Bond prices are set as a function of its duration and a function of its convexity. Okay, Convexity is like acceleration and duration is like velocity. So if you guys remember your physics 101, Distance. Yeah, that's, distance, assume we forgot. Okay, well, how about this? Distance equals velocity times time plus one half acceleration times time okay, squared. Do you guys remember that? that? Stuff, yeah. That's the same equation for bond pricing. Change in price of a bond equals negative duration times change in interest rates plus one half convexity times change in interest rate squared. It's sort of neat. They're both Taylor series. It's mathematical, but it's it's. So so when you compute this through with a where you had so take so me I through want, the algorithm. Okay, here's the neat thing. Let's ignore convexity. Let's ignore the fact that uh, change in interest rate squared gets gets to be small amounts. The duration of a 30-year U.S. Treasury bond, the the calculation for duration is about a 21 right now. Okay, it's not equal to its term to maturity, but it is 21, which means for every hundred basis points change in interest rates of a 30-year bond, if the 30-year bond's at 160 right now, if it goes to 260, the duration, uh, the duration impact of that change of 100 basis points is $21 loss on your $100 bond. Think about that for one second. If it goes 200 basis points, you've lost 40% of your long bond investment. On a mark-to-market basis. Now, as long as you don't sell it. So you're saying, so this is your way of saying rates are never going to move up. No. In fact, I'm, in, I'm almost 100% convinced that's the only way they can go. But if they Which do go that wipes way. Out, it wipes out bondholders. On a, it doesn't wipe them out. It's a mark-to-market loss that some people have to. Uh, actually, you'd have to sell you'd have to sell. no you don't have to but you have had an opportunity cost and a hit upside the face that's a 40 percent loss on something that's not supposed to lose 40 percent how did the rates go up how do they yeah the u.s government could in fact lose control of its borrowing uh okay capacity. okay so we're on the same and, page and and, and yeah. then all of a sudden it, bond investors just say look 
Yeah. I don't want this piece of goo that's called okay. a U.S. 100 with you. 100 with you. I don't think, forget. I, I think 45 days ago there was a U.S. Treasury auction where there weren't enough uh, interested buyers. Yields, I think, started moving. Gold prices came down because of that. You can see when the okay. Fed's not in. There. I'm a high yield bond trader. Okay, I I, I made and my living in high yield bonds. So your knowledge of this compared <laughs> to mine, I'm first day okay, junior kindergarten. Li- okay, all good. And credit is credit. Okay, don't forget. And one of your questions to me was, what is a yield curve? So the yield curve to begin with is partially administered. When I say that, it's because the Fed can set its short-term policy, right? Its discount rate. That sets the short-term interest rate, and the long-terms are set off of supply and demand generally. But things that are happening in the world now called yield curve control, YCC. So governments are out there buying different parts of their, uh, for the JGBs are, are, uh, are pegged, I think, at the 10-year or something like this. They, they want the term structure of interest rates to look under administrative pressure how their yield curve looks. Yield curves, though, are interest rate risk. They're not truly credit risk. Okay, credit risk is more expressed in the credit default swap market. Removes long-term interest rate structure from the credit default calculation on a given name. U.S. Treasury has about a seven basis point CDS spread the last time I, I checked, which is de minimis, right? But it's not zero. Okay, it's not truly risk free, even though they can print money, it's not risk free and nor should it be. But what happens in the credit markets is when you lose confidence, people run over each other to escape like someone yelled fire in a theater, right? So taking everything you've just Mm -hmm. said, then to Nick's point, Mm -hmm. you're thinking that right now, if there's a, I forget where I read this. It might've been in one of James Rickard's books. I can't remember. But if there's a thousand people in a banquet hall, one person gets up and screams fire Mm -hmm. and runs out the back Mm -hmm. door. No one really moves. If then 10 people get up and scream Mm -hmm. fire and run out the back door, you kind of get your attention Mm -hmm. out of the thousand people. Mm -hmm. Then if a hundred people get up and scream fire, running. you start to, to move. And then when 500 people start to move, the last 500 can't get out oh, yeah. because they're stuck so, in the so, banquet hall. So in the bond market, this is a, to Nick's point on where the adoption from Bitcoin comes in. It could be a movement of like some people, early adopters are getting it. I'm getting out of this. I'm getting out of this. I'm getting out of this. And it just moves forward until the psychology of the entire market changes. And then boom, the price is too high. You've missed your opportunity. Yes. And uh, okay. So on, on, on both sides to answer that. First of all, there will be lots of governments and government uh, uh, debt that fails before the U.S. Treasury fails. Okay, Canada will fail before the U.S. Treasury fails. Let's let's be clear on that. And, Canadian, and what does that look like to you when Canada? So when you say Canada fails before the U.S., what does that look like to you? Uh, no bid uh, in in long bonds. So the Bank of Canada then just steps in. No, uh, they can print, and at the end of the day, then it becomes even more funny because people are like, "Well, what do I do with the bonds I already own?" Because don't forget, you know, some of them are like, "Okay, the Bank of Canada can only buy so much. It's it's just mathematically impossible. It'll break down." I, I'm and I, I don't want to get any lose, uh, listeners to be no. Uh, this is good to be to be panicked again. Remember, I spent my life trading credit. What happens? A crisis in confidence in credit markets. It turns on a dime, okay? And we saw it with the asset-backed commercial paper market in Canada. I think I mentioned that to you, where there was $32 billion of this paper, and it was freely functioning, and overnight, it went no bid. Now, $32 billion is not an insignificant market, but it happened in Canada, and it went no bid overnight. Prices fell from $0.10 on the dollar, thereabouts, to about $0.60, 
and then to 20 cents with no trades. Just stopped. Just stopped. Okay? So it doesn't have to be running out of the door like I described. No, no. It stops. It stops. Oh, my God. The case stopped buying? Well, I'm not buying if the case isn't buying. And if What ca- year was that? This was uh, 2008. They, they, but, it precipitated the credit crisis. But that's still all financial market stuff. Like, so we're talking bank stuff. Because for the average person, mm-hmm. so the way I look at this is the, the average person is not even paying attention to that, that headline. They're like, I don't even know what that means. I'm, I, I'm not even going to pay attention to that headline. Or they don't have savings. And then I guess, you know, and I'm, I think I'm answering my own question on this one, because if you don't have savings, all these problems really don't matter that much because you can't, you don't have the savings to put in some other hard asset that's anyways. Un, so that's you don't, unfortunate. Yeah. But it does because don't forget it's ultimately it's the confidence in the financial system. What happens? It flows downhill. The, you know, you, the proverbial crap flows downhill. It's the like, bond market stops. Let me tell you what happens. The bond market stops. The bank's get under pressure the banks get under pressure your savings in any bank becomes uh jeopardized potentially and there could be a run on the bank i i'm I'm painting a scenario that's not out of this world but well we've seen it in other countries we have have rock star members who travel to argentina because they're pilots right now and then when they get to the hotel they exchange their their dollars for pesos locally and there's people there only too happy to yep. accept you American okay. dollars okay. because they're expecting 50% inflation. So I understand what you're saying, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of people in the, around the world who completely understand what you're talking about. When, when was there a run on the, the, what is the UK banks, Scottish banks? Was that 2008? Do you remember yep. there was, yeah. there was no, lineups? There were lineups. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? There I feel were like li- it was Scottish and yeah. Irish too. Some, and they, they, they shut, the, they shut them down. Didn't oh, some yeah. hedge right? fund they take can... down the whole country of Iceland? Maybe. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's, these are all risks guys. And counterparty risk is one of the mis- most misunderstood, uh, uh, components of the financial markets. Again, we don't have to get into the minutia. I will just say it happens quickly. Yeah, okay. It happens quickly. It is almost impossible to turn it around, meaning once it's happened, the memories of people that it happened to, it, it, they'll never forget. And most importantly, the bond market is massive. Okay, It doesn't have to be a full-on exodus. It's always just what's priced on the margin. Okay, It's like, the bar- it's like barrels of oil. 100 million barrels of oil per day are consumed, but it's really only the last 2 million of those 100 million that sets the marginal price of oil. Okay, think about that. Same thing in credit. Everyone else could still be comfortable with their credit position, but if they don't have enough demand to complete an auction, it's the marg- It's at the margin that causes the auction to fail. Okay, so give me a problem. And the confidence. Okay, so on the probability idea, or for this decade, mm-hmm. What is the probability then of something in the credit markets happening that is, would, would really catch everybody off guard this decade? What is your probability of something like that happening this decade? Now, I, far I, can greater, by, I can tell by your facial five, reaction. Five, far greater than zero, okay? Um, I'll just tell you this. I touched on this before, and you asked me, and I'm going to jump ahead, how did I get involved in Bitcoin? Yeah. Okay, so this is important because... What people don't understand as well, Nick, they may not understand the bank, uh, sorry, the, the bond market and the pricing of bonds. They certainly don't understand banking, okay? Banks are extremely, extremely exposed to risks that most people do not understand. If you make a $100 loan as a bank, you typically only hold about $4 of capital against that loan. And $96 dollars 
is either depositors' money or interbank deposits, as well as some subordinate debt, okay? Which means you only have a $4 cushion on a $100 loan. You tell me that some of these real estate loans that the banks are sitting on right now, commercial real estate loans, haven't lost more than 4% of their value? Come on, let's, let's stop, full stop. Banks are regularly insolvent. I told you that when I started with the Royal Bank of Canada in 1988, it was insolvent. Don't want to scare anybody, but it's true. Banking is a very, very risky business that... I could, I, and then, so I could argue back to you and say, well, who cares? Because even if they're insolvent, I know the government's going to step in and the Bank of Canada is going to step in and fix That's that how problem. I got involved in Bitcoin. Thank you for asking my question. The only reason banks maintain a AA credit rating is because they have an implied backstop by, by the governments is too big to fail. And as being too big to fail, how do they bail them out? By printing more fiat. Fiat is, you know, worthless. Therefore, you're getting more worthless money and I needed to find a solution for that. So for 30 years, I was looking for a solution because I lived it. First job out of, high, out of uh, business school, I worked at the Royal Bank of Canada head office and it was insult. So were you were you a gold guy then over these 30 years? I, I wasn't you? huge on gold well, because, why? well, so I'm portability. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in big trouble. Uh, we need to put our savings somewhere and oh yeah so i want to carry these gold bars around yeah no I you get know it. what i get yeah, yeah, I so get then it. how did i get introduced to bitcoin well fred pie at 3iq was looking for people to fund his idea of starting a bitcoin listed uh closed-end fund and he came to me and i was one of the founding uh founding investors. is he the guy who explained bitcoin to you or were you already down the rabbit hole he introduced it to me i the thing that convinced me of it as an engineer was, I think I mentioned this on our first podcast, was seeing it in action. Tradeblock.com. Yeah, when you Seeing the blockchain. Yeah. Seeing it work, seeing yeah. transactions across the world and answering all my question. All dollar sizes. All dollar sizes. Most importantly, 21 million hard cap, no centralized control. So you were looking at a solution for this for 30 years. Correct. But, but uh, so... I, uh, there, I have a few There's questions. So there. There's so you much there. There's so much. So I'll say to your portability mm-hmm. standpoint, I, we, I was sharing this on, on a podcast that we did, I don't know, the last one or previously. It was, um, I was sitting at the bank the other day doing a wire, I had to do a wire mm-hmm. transfer to buy some Bitcoin actually. Mm-hmm. And I was wiring it, I was wiring the, the money and I'm sitting there and they, first of all, there was this $80 fee. I'm like, you're charging me 80 bucks. Yep. And I have to go to the bank. I have to sit there and wait while they're doing this paperwork. And you have and to stuff. tell them what you're doing. Like, yeah. why are you sending yeah. the money? And I always feel like, is this my money and, or and your th- money? And when I was sitting there, I was like, this system is so antiquated. Yes. It is so antiquated. Like it's it's waiting. And I, I'm not, I'm, I'm pulling back. I'm not as bullish Bitcoin as you guys. Obviously I'm a believer. I'm investing in it. You know what I mean? I'm tra- taking some of my fiat dollars and I want to put them in something else. But, I, uh, but when I'm sitting there, it just became so crystal clear to me that I'm like, this system is just right. And and what happens when the SWIFT system, that's a whole other conversation we get into global politics, which I don't want to get into, but what happens when the SWIFT system is, is independent body, but the U S controls it. So we can talk about that. But what happens when we say, sorry, SWIFT is shut down. Nick can't get your money out of the bank. Then yeah. what? Then to Greg's point, if this changes fast and get getting down to the everyday person who wants to cash out and get some Bitcoin, you, th- you this is like to me when people reached out to us about gold in March and they well, were like, Tom, there's no more gold, a Canadian PMX. Where do I go buy it? And we, our response was like, you don't wait to buy your fire insurance until there's a fire. Mm-hmm. 
This is why well, you need to go down this rabbit hole now. Do you remember Iran, only a few years ago, to get around the U.S. sanctions, they were selling oil to, I think it was Russia. I thought it I was forget. Russia too. And, and there's pallets and, of gold. And pallets of gold were going over yeah, but, his payment. But do you see what Iran's doing now in interstate? They're allowed to settle in Bitcoin. That's interstate right. in uh -huh. Iran. Uh -huh. that, so that's what, yeah, so it's, it's that type of... So it, it's when, you know, it, it might be pressure from other parts of the world or adoption, I should say, from other parts of the world where this, where what we see in North America is because we're so sheltered from these types of things okay. being in Canada and the U.S. Yeah. that it's hard sometimes to wrap our heads around it. But when you see it, like no different than what we, when we were talking about recently, I think it was Lebanon. We were talking about what was happening yeah. in Lebanon. Or recently. Venezuela. When they, when they Venezuela. light their yeah. central bank. Yeah. And you're just like, at that point, you're desperate. So, you're desperate to be able to get into something. Gold, and I'll, I kind of use them interchangeably, you know, and they're not. I get it. But to Bitcoin's me, it's any some sort of hard, way hard money. Let, right? me, let, me, let me just, uh, I don't want to diss gold holders out there. Gold holders are like 50% of the way there, okay? The problem with gold is it's not a closed system. Now you need to, I'm, I'm going to borrow quotes from the most intelligent man I've ever listened to on podcasts is Michael Saylor. Okay. He's the CEO of the company that bought $450 million of Bitcoin. So far he's done his, well with that, that, that purchase. Was, was that after, even, that was after the last time you were on, oh, I yeah. think, right? Oh, because yeah. the last time oh, you yeah. were on just for everyone's ever from a price point of view, and who knows when you're listening to this, you were on, we published that podcast. Bitcoin was at 10,500 us today. I haven't checked. Uh, it's around 15,000 and change. So since you were on last time, mm -hmm. it's gone from 10,500 yeah. or so to about 15,000. All these prices down here, guys and ladies and gentlemen, are, are rounding errors, okay? I don't want to even consider whether it's trading at 12 or 15 or 20,000. It's it. a rounding error. It's a rounding error. It's just you tough to it. speak like that and not for, for if you haven't studied it to think these guys are completely insane. So it's why I like you describing the things that you're you're okay. describing the way you are. Okay. Appreciate so 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 let, let's appreciate gold here, Nick. I need to I need to talk about gold. Michael Saylor is an engineer. In fact, he's actually a rocket scientist from MIT. He is brilliant. He's eloquent when he speaks and he loves Bitcoin. He believes Bitcoin will become the global reserve currency. He calls it the purest form of monetary energy. Okay. And he compares it all to the laws of thermodynamics. I don't want to overwhelmed listeners but the first law our of listeners are the most brilliant listeners you they ever sure, know in they, canada they so sure, don't worry you just go down they this path. sure they sure are because <laughs> some of them have actually uh engaged me on twitter and i love that so by the way uh, thank you for for doing this and thank you to all the listeners because uh, uh I've, I've gained some followers but i've gained a tremendous amount of insight from the listeners as well so so the first law of th thermodynamics conservation of energy Okay, you guys know it, you may not know it, but that's the first law. Michael Saylor says that, and we know this as engineers, closed systems work, which means a thermodynamic closed system works. Open systems do not work. Think about hydraulics. Think about if you're using a hydraulic system and it has a leak in it. It's an open system. Your hydraulics don't work. Your backhoe expl doesn't explode. It just can't work on the hydraulic system. So open systems don't work. Well, fiat energy, excuse me, fiat currency is an open system. Why is it open? Because they can print more of it. Gold is in fact an open system. Why is it open? Because they can get more of it from the ground. We don't know what the total supply is. It's not a huge amount that comes on every year, but it's but not it, a fixed yeah, function. But it is there. Exactly. So Bitcoin, 21 million forever and ever, and you can calculate everything based on your denominator being fixed. Imagine if my both my numerator and denominator 
were uncertain in my calculations. Well, at least I know my denominator is 21 million. Yeah, it gives you truth. Fill in, fill in the numerator. Well, fill it in with different what-if scenarios. Put a probability on those. But it's tough on gold. The denominator can change. We don't know if a a beautiful gold asteroid lands on Earth and let's not even go there. Do you know there's 20 million tons of gold in seawater? Mm-hmm. 20 million yeah, yeah, tons I was reading of gold. About that. Yeah, okay. I forgot. It's not economical to harvest right now, but is it outrageous to think that over time someone may figure out, a how, to get, price. how to get gold out of seawater? As time passes, it's becoming to me, and I'm a, you're talking to a huge gold fan over here. A huge Gold it, it, is it, it, way better than, than fiat, but it's not nearly as, as good, good as, as Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I, I, I agree. Okay, I want to I get your thoughts on something okay, else. Sure. I, I used to work at Oracle, a big database company. Mm-hmm. Some of my clients were Royal Bank of Canada. Mm-hmm. I was starting as the tech support guy who would answer the calls when their databases would go down and that that was their single point of truth the database was the single point okay. of truth okay this is what i think is going to happen to the banking system the banking system doesn't understand that what mp3s did to the music industry yes where they just threw it upside down and yes. of course there are survivors and and and, and uh, the producers of music probably own more share of their income stream than they ever did before and there are a lot of the middlemen are cut out and however all that works i don't know the details but we can all accept that it threw the music industry upside down to me, Bitcoin is like that in the world of finance, except that we get to own Bitcoin. Whereas MP3s, we could never okay. own MP3s because okay. it can be duplicated okay. easily, okay. right? We get to own part of the change. Which So that alone is beautiful, but that's not, that's not my okay. point. My point is that before you needed a bank in Canada to act as the single point of truth as how much money you had in the bank, you had to check your checking account. You had to check your savings account. Okay, and you would go to a trusted organization like a bank for this facility. Mm -hmm. You no longer need that with a distributed ledger on a blockchain. You can go, I can interact with the single point of truth directly. Correct. I don't need to go through the bank to tell me how much money I have. Decentralization, correct. Yeah, I can go directly to the Uh chain. Uh That completely eliminates. Yes. A part of banking in, in, in the world yes. that will no longer need to exist. And right now the complaint is can't do it easily. It's not fast. It, you know, it, it's not user friendly. Mm-hmm. All the same arguments I heard about the internet in 1996. Mm-hmm. So to me, banking doesn't realize they're about, a huge part of their business is about to be completely upended and they don't see it coming. I think they see it coming. Um, again, and the people in the know... Um, aren't about to go out there and cause any sort of panic. Uh, but but they, do you they, see my point yeah, where yeah, I'm like, I yeah. can interact with yeah. my bank balance. Yeah. I don't have to go to TD and say, how much money do I have? No. I'll just check the blockchain. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. 100%. Uh, now, listen, nothing happens overnight either. Um, it, barring it some sort of calamity, you know, this will be a process that takes place over time. A very interesting statistic right now, the five largest global payment systems. Um, so Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, Square, I'm forgetting one, but uh, uh, even throw Shopify in there. Uh, the market caps of those five companies are bigger than the market caps of the top five money center banks in the U.S. So Bank of America, Citibank, Wells Fargo. Um, uh, you, you take the top five U.S. money center banks and the payment platforms out are, are, are larger than them by about a hundred billion dollars by my last calculation. That's, that's massive. And the banks are taking all the risks. The banks are taking credit risk. The payment platforms are taking no risk. They're just fee based. So that's where banking has to move. They have to compete with the payment platforms, but they must be freaking out. Um, so when I started at the Royal bank in 1988, uh, 
one of my projects was, uh, you know, what's the proper amount of capital that we need to have to support the risk in the banking system at the Royal Bank? And uh, the impetus was, of that was because of the Bank for International Settlements that came out, came out with capital guidelines that they said, look, the banking system does not have enough capital. Applause to that because it did not, because it was bankrupt in 1988. Um, okay, they needed more capital. Well, how to measure that? And, and that's the big, uh, it's very scientific, very um, uh, math, math heavy and very uh, uncertain because that's what risk is. It's uncertainty. So the long story about this is, Credit tends to be the leader of a bank relationship. So they say, hey, I may not be making money on the operating lines of credit. I'm advancing to company ABC, but I promise I'm making money on their cash management services, on their payroll services, on all the things that banks do on a fee-based. And that's somewhat true. But I worked for a very uh, influential consulting company in New York at one point called Oliver Wyman and Company, and that was their whole gist was measuring true risk. And they said, if your banking relationship on a credit basis is not profitable, meaning are you charging the correct spread over LIBOR for the risk that you're taking lending to Nick and Tom's Rockstar Real Estate Company, if you're not getting the proper 2.5% or 3% over LIBOR or over prime, which is your lending profitability spread, your relationship as a whole is not profitable, meaning all the other fee services that are added into that relationship does not make up for the fact that you are charging the wrong price on your loans. That is the point of failure for commercial banking. They do not know how to price credit risk. As a 30-year treasury, uh, sorry, as a 30-year trader of credit risk, I promise you, loan officers at banks are not that good at pricing risk. That's the point of failure in the banking system. So if they can't do that, why would anybody have all their other, so why would company ABC go to the Royal Bank of Canada if they don't get credit? I don't think they would. I think they would go to Squares. They'd go to Visa. They'd process their, their uh, uh, money management uh, transactions in other ways. And well, that, sure, it's just a convenience factor. I mean, it's great if you can do it. Like, except some, the credit side. Don't forget. No, I know. That is so important. A bank that lends to the top-rated companies in the world for backup lines of credit for commercial paper uh, operations, for example, these things are very valuable yeah, to the commercial I'm, paper I'm issuers. If, if you remove that, you were saying if you remove that, if you're not going for credit, then why? Like, what do they have? And you're, you're so right. You you're right. So you just, learn how to price credit. SOS, learn how to price credit. Well, they haven't learned in the last 30 years, and I doubt they're going to learn in the, la in the next 30 months. So there you go. There's the point of failure. So you're telling me you're bullish on the banks. I have, <laughs> I'm joking. I, I'm joking. I never want to start a bank run in Canada. I just need people to understand the true risk that they are taking. Which we appreciate. And the way you articulate it is different than the way Nick and I tend to articulate it because we come from a place of more the currency isn't going to be worth anything. You're coming from a structural explanation of our banking system, which is very different than the way we talk about it. So thank you for so that. I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I Look, I appreciate it. I was lucky enough to work in various uh, positions where I learned this. And nobody 
generally gets to learn. Okay, so then why, uh, another question for you, on the yield curve thing, why do people like Raul Pal talk about, you know, eventually Bitcoin is going to have a yield curve and that's Mm going to change the game. He's mentioned this like a bunch of times. I think it's a collateral, It's, it's, it's a collateral thing. Meaning, explain more. Uh, you can. Uh, we'll be Bitcoin able to lend will be it. the we'll be purest lend, form of collateral, and, and okay? we'll be able to lend it out, and Correct. we'll know what mm-hmm. we can get in mm-hmm. return for lending out. Because I was Correct. listening to a podcast. I think it's Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. And these guys explained how in the Lightning Network they're coming up with some um, some things where you can lend your Bitcoin um, into the Lightning Network. Sure. I, I'm, I'm generally. How, how about how about this though? Let's let's do this. Let's not confuse what. Bitcoin can be in the future, which could be all these layer two and layer three solutions versus what it is right now. Most simply, Bitcoin is a store of value. If you listen to Michael Saylor, and I encourage everybody, please, 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 if you do nothing else after this podcast, get off and listen to Michael Saylor in any of his, talking to Dan Hell, talking to, uh, um, yeah, this uh, one right here, I'll repeat it right now. But just so you know, he's the CEO of MicroStrategy and correct. they took $450 million of their treasury and put it into Bitcoin. The one the one I think, Greg, that you're referring to that's really good is this one that I have up right now with John... Vallis, Vallis. Right? Yeah, so John is, it's amazing. There, there's just, that's, it's the two-hour two hour podcast, guys. It's, it's you, you need to lock yourself in a room. You need to listen to this man. Again, he's a rocket scientist, okay? I, I don't say that lightly. I went to McGill with uh, some of the smartest people I've ever gone to school with. Uh, the problem is they couldn't talk. They were so smart. They just were a computer, yeah, a walking computer. Very- Michael Saylor is a brilliant man who can actually explain himself. I, after McGill, I went on to Cornell and I went to uh, do a business degree at Cornell, a business uh, MBA. It wasn't even comparable, the quality of brains at McGill versus Cornell. McGill was so much smarter. Like these kids were just absolute brilliant people. But guess who makes more money? The C students, right? C students run the world because they get A students to work for them. All the engineers are generally the A students. I've never okay? heard that before. C oh, yeah. students talk so much, they become salespeople. That's, that's it. <laughs> C students run the world because they're the only ones smart enough to know they don't have now, the The engineers answers, are so now get... into the money system. Okay, and we've never so really... Michael Saylor, okay. The engineers have de- have developed the purest form of money and taken that job away from the politicians. It's, crazy. it's beautiful. It's, I, I agree. It agree, is honey. beautiful. It's insane. It blows my mind. Every time I, every time I think about this, I'm like, this is the moment in my lifetime, which I am so grateful that I get to see. Yes. Uh, Because you, I didn't know that you've been searching for a solution for 30 years. And, and, and Nick and I, you know, I'm not, Nick and I are big believers in property and income streams. I've served us well and it's served us well. And and we've never really jumped into anything. We have a bunch of buddies who've always tried to pull us into different investments and we've always stood down and Nick knows my personality type. I've stood down on stuff. I, when we discovered what Bitcoin really is as Mm -hmm. a store of value, Mm -hmm. we started to move really quick this year. This year, we, 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 we went a first what we thought was a, you know, a bit, and then we've gone a bit and a bit and a bit and a bit. Good. And uh, it's, 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 it's something that I think everyone needs to pay attention to. And I, I hate when I say it like that because it sounds like hyperbole a little bit, which, but, but we'll leave that for now. I just went on the yield curve thing. I, we won't dive into it. But the reason that I think this is important because when that happens, uh-huh. then uh, a finance system can be built out oh, yeah. more properly with that. And when I hear these engineers, yeah. it's engineers talking about how they're building a yield curve in the system okay. it freaks me out okay i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna throw a i'm gonna th- that was a softball 
or a lob pitch to me and I'm going to, I'm going to swing and miss. Okay. Because engineers also create horrible things. Engineers created, uh, structural, uh, al- uh, they became alchemists. They were probably uh, solely responsible for the collapse in credit in 2009. The people that designed these structured products, leveraged super senior debt and all this stuff that uh, was basically an alchemy of uh, leveraging AAA and, uh, you know, putting 40 times multiple, 40 times leverage on it because it's impossible it would ever default. Well, it's true it's impossible it would ever default, but it didn't mean that it couldn't get marked to market and you'd have to take a haircut, a pretty substantial haircut on it. And then, by the way, all the guys that were AAA letters, they stop lending and there goes no bid and the system unravels. Well, those were financial engineers, okay? Just because you're smart doesn't mean you can't design something that's total crap. And that was what happened in the structured products market, predominantly the asset-backed commercial paper market in Canada that I mentioned to you before. It happened $32 billion worth, of which the case of Depot et Plasmans Quebec had $16 billion, approximately 10% of their assets into this thing that was financially engineered to rip their faces off. And it did. Okay. Engineering is not the answer to everything as long as you know what you're aiming for. So Bitcoin doesn't have to be a hundred percent of your portfolio. It just has to be more than zero. Okay, Nick, I know you don't believe in it as much as your brother, perhaps, or as much as I do. I'll just tell you, you're very close because you already believe in gold so much. There's people out there that don't even believe in gold. That's the biggest risk. Okay. So not only are we fighting the people that don't believe in Bitcoin, we're fighting the people that don't believe in gold or don't understand what a fiat currency is. So the education process is huge. I love trying to educate people and don't take it the wrong way. I'm not a teacher per se. I, I learn as much as I, uh, as I preach. And if people have questions, please look me up and we can talk offline. We can talk anywhere. Um, I learn as much from you guys as, uh, as perhaps you learn from me. You know, it's funny when you guys were talking about Peter Schiff earlier, and if we look like at uh, like a Jim Rickards or, you know, those t- types of people that don't really talk about Bitcoin much, well, Peter will talk about it and just slam it all the time. And I think sometimes I, I look at it like that because I'm always, when I, my decision making is always based on, okay, what do I see as like a worst case scenario and then probability of mm-hmm, that how, mm-hmm. you know, because I like to understand both sides of it. And that's kind of what I base this on. So I look at I look at someone like Peter Schiff. I'm like, hmm, so what is his vested interest? And I know that you know he's got his company and things like that. But I'm like, why would he not speak of like, yeah, guys, it's it's something to look at, you know, and, or anyone else. It doesn't have to be Peter Schiff, but like any kind of gold person would be like, hey, like, yeah, like you know what? It's kind of there's a place in this world for both of those. And maybe you take a percentage of whatever gold holdings you have in yeah. gold if you're not uh-huh. sold on it. But just like as a kind of a safety net, like throw some of that stuff out there. That's and it's just great weird question. to me that some people are just like so ingrained. And the only thing I can come up with because I, I, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, what what is my why do I feel easier or more comfortable with gold than Bitcoin, even though I see the uh-huh. best, the benefits of, of, of Bitcoin over gold? And I think it's the history that ha- it, it has had. Yep. And the, it's the long history, whereas this short history maybe puts question marks in people's heads. Okay, so the, the, there's a great, great question. And, and so you're right, it's only 12 years old. But uh, every day that Bitcoin's around, it becomes less risky, not more, more yeah, risky. Yeah. Okay, so I need people to understand that. It's whether you call it the Lindy effect or it's the network effect or however you want to talk about it. Every single day that Bitcoin is around, 
it becomes less risky. And the volatility has, has continued so to drop as well. Right? I don't care about volatility. In fact, volatility is the price of returns. Okay. I love volatility. I love it because I live it. I, I've lived it for, for 30 years. I love volatility. Um, it's the price of return. If you show me something with zero volatility, I'll say, well, have fun earning 0% because that's basically what zero vol is. Right now, let's talk about volatility in the market. Okay. When credit markets were actually freely functioning, meaning the, the Fed wasn't in there messing around with credit, when equity vol exceeded 25%, the credit markets closed down. It was a hard and fast rule, okay? And basically what volatility is, apart from being risk, uh, a measure of risk, if you are long credit, if you own credit, you are short volatility, Okay. If the average vol over a five-year period is probably around 13 to 15%, okay, and you're a credit guy, and all of a sudden vol shoots to 25%, you're shorting. It's gone from 15 to 25. You're getting carved, okay? Vol most recently was up around 40%, yet the credit markets were freely functioning because the Fed was in there with a backstop sort of a roundabout question. Why do you think the Fed was buying credit? To, I guess, to uh, let to the shore. system survive. Yeah, to shore up the what system. system. What system? The credit system. Correct, the yeah. banks. Their only reason the Fed was buying credit was to defend the banking system. And equity vol was at 40%. Okay, the credit markets top to bottom would have been shut down. The Fed did the right thing. But now they've backed themselves into a yet another corner. They've kicked themselves. But they're never going to get out of this. Thank you very much. They will never get out of this, okay? Investors have lost their nerve. They have the Fed put. They have no backbone. It, and it's removed the, the, the pricing of risk. Because if I'm in the banks and I mm -hmm. look at the real estate market, mm -hmm. sure, borrow more money. Listen, we're in the real estate game. Mm -hmm. Sure, borrow more money. Borrow more. Uh, borrow for whatever you want. And, and as a banking guy who you alluded to who's trying to price risk, whether mm -hmm. they're good or not good at it, if I know the Fed's bailing me out and I'm the CEO of a Canadian bank yep. and we're very profitable on 25-year amortizations, and, and again, we could debate whether the system survives or not to get mm -hmm. all those, mm -hmm. whatever. But... But yeah, lend it out because the banks, I have Got to no be careful though, right? Because uh, one's public credit and the other one's, uh, you know, it's not like there's a freely functioning market on uh, Tom and uh, Nick's uh, second mortgage. Uh, you know, like, I mean, it's it becomes a mark-to-market problem as much as a liquidity problem, okay? Do they ever market-to-market? No, they don't. They don't have to. It's not part of their accounting. But it's, you know, if it was a trading book, trust me, you have to market-to-market. So... Um, credit, the Fed was buying credit to defend the banking system, full stop. It worked because otherwise it would have been shut. Credit would have been shut because equity vol was above 40 for the longest time. When did the Fed start doing this in a big way? 2008? No, they weren't really buying credit. They were just, um, they were, uh, doing QE. Okay. But so they weren't active no, in the credit no, market. No, no, Really? Yeah. Huh. It was primarily this okay. year, wasn't it? That yeah, they really no, jumped right. up, no, right? Yeah. Right. yeah, it is. They, they've only started buying. They've only started buying corporate credit this this past year, and high yield in particular was you know, which I think is asinine. But again, <laughs> it's only my opinion. Was um, is the bank? You're right, and I never okay. thought of it as corporate credit. Is the Bank of Canada? You know, they're they very buy, vague. They're buying it. They're buying, they're buying it because they're just yeah. saying are they're they in they? the market. Oh yeah, I didn't know the. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know the Bank of Canada was as well. Yes, they oh, are. Okay, 100%. I didn't know. But but listen, listen, listen. The reason the Fed 
allow you themselves. To us, Greg, you listen to us. <laughs> You're going to love this. The reason the Fed said that they were going to um, be able to buy high yield was for five different credits. Okay, AT and T, General Motors, Ford, GE, maybe General Electric, at a boy who used to be a triple A credit, downgraded to double to triple B minus on the cusp of high yield. Those four, and there's a fifth lender. I'm drawing a blank. I think it might have been some. Uh, that doesn't even matter. Those four would have overwhelmed the high yield market. Those the, the the debt balances of those four are larger than the entire high yield market of, of hundreds of and, and thousands of credits. Okay. They could not afford to let those fallen angels go into high yield without a Fed so backstop. Where, where do you see the system in six, seven, eight, nine, ten years? Where do you see things? Forget, okay, let's just say, yeah, all right, it's a it's a complete mess. And the way I, uh, the way, by the way, when Nick and I are chatting with people, at this point I say, I trust my Bitcoin more than I trust your dollars. Because okay. I don't know yeah. how the banking system is going to work if they're stuck in the bank, and I don't know how many they're going to print. That's a beautiful so, thing. So to I me, I trust way. my Bitcoin yeah. more than your dollars. And that's Dan Held today. Dan Held today goes, I own Bitcoin because I'm risk averse. Beautiful. Think about it. He's yeah. risk averse, so he owns, he owns yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah. But where, so now let's skip ahead a little okay. bit. Like, I don't know. I'll answer that yeah. question. I have a feeling that it'll be just more of the same. Once you give a kid candy and you, you know, they become an addict. Too many people are afraid to detox, and the system won't be able to detox. Right so now. asset owners are going to win. Hard money is going to win. Equity and markets are going higher, you guys. Okay, equity markets are going higher. Hard assets are going higher. Do equity markets go higher faster than the devaluation of the dollar, so you can still get ahead? Or what do you think about that? You, you know what I mean? Like, I, it, no, that's it. Because look, your house isn't really going up in value per se. It's that the fiat currency is going. Yeah. Down, so what about right? the stock market? There are certain things in there, certainly that are world-class companies that would be going up in sure. any other Apple, but Google. don't forget that it's it's not the s&p 500 it's the s&p 6 five, yeah. Yeah. five six, and six yeah. and the s&p 490 right you got to be very careful so you can't draw a, a but a that would be the illusion that the price keeps going up mm -hmm. and then the, it's been like that for years though, I, right? agreed agreed uh, lynn alden has this great thing yeah. um where in the 19 uh let me get this straight from 1941 to 51 mm -hmm. you could buy bonds during that period and at the end of 10 years your 10-year bond is actually like 12 worth uh, a ten thousand dollar investment is worth twelve thousand <laughs> but in real terms it's like six thousand oh yeah it's always that way okay now listen bond math very simply we touched on it before is nothing but a contractual obligation to receive a coupon, okay? All this stuff about I bought a bond at par and sold it at 120 mm -hmm. because interest rates went lower, all you've done is is pulled forward your, the return on your coupons and you trade in an 8% coupon for a 7% coupon and then you trade in a 7% coupon for a 6% coupon. Capital gains in bonds are nothing but math, okay? The return on a bond over the next 10 years I am gonna guarantee you this. I'm 100% certain the 10 year, the next 10 years, US Treasury return is gonna be 1%. It's only math, you guys. You can't make it out of thin air. There is no such thing as capital gains in bonds if you hold it to maturity and the coupon is all you get as your So maturity. no real return for anyone holding bonds. I would agree with that, and I'd also say your fiat risk when you get pay, when you get paid back is a substantial probability that you're hundred dollars. You do get it back and want to get into some hard money. Let's oh, yeah, face yeah. it; they're going to no, go. No, My no. biggest threat to to Bitcoin. Uh, back to our earlier mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much time you have. I have, a few I have more questions all the time for you. Okay. For you. But, but, uh, my, my 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 biggest threat to Bitcoin is is and this will never happen. By the way, is if the governments mm -hmm. get smart and they have a hard based 
currency. Because if the Canadian government, no, no, and I know they they can't, can't. I know they can't, but that's the biggest threat. It's not even a threat because it's impossible. Mathematically, it's impossible. When you have a debt. Nick, right. He's more bullish than me on Bitcoin. No, it's not bullish. I'm a math guy, okay? In a debt to GDP spiral, it's mathematically impossible to grow yourself out of the spiral and the fiat currency is the error term, which means the fiat currency has to fill the gap where you have a shortfall between the growth of your debt, which is the interest rate on your debt, plus the new debt issued versus the growth rate in GDP. Guys, it's only math. No, no. So I I get it. And I get it. I I agree with what you guys are saying. And I'm going to ask this, unfortunately, that I have to to leave. So, but, um, so we're kicking you out. You're not leaving. You were kicking. Uh-huh. I'm, not big, I'm not bullish enough. I don't understand <laughs> math not, enough. You're not can I, can I say one thing? You own Bitcoin. So therefore our job here is done. No, okay. I, I, you own it. I, I don't I, care I how much you own. put a pretty hefty stake in the ground. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Before you leave, I'm going to quote something. Okay. And I'm going to quote it right now. Okay. Okay. If you own zero Bitcoin, you are irresponsibly short. Yeah. Can I yeah. say that once again? If you own zero Bitcoin, you are irresponsibly short Bitcoin. Don't do that for your kids, ladies and gentlemen. You are being irresponsible. Yeah, a friend of mine said, he's like, look, he goes, even if you think, this was this was probably six months ago, he goes, look, even if you think it's there's a 2% chance of it actually becoming something, he goes, then doesn't it make sense to put then 2% of whether it's your net worth yes. or your investment portfolio, or whatever. In Get it. off zero. Yeah, but but so but let me ask yes. you guys go, this because this is the thing that I, that I get because I agree with you guys. Like okay. I don't see you. You guys have said a couple of things. So you mentioned like how they can't let it fail because now that they've the, the kids addicted to the candy, they can't remove the candy right because yeah. people freak out. Mm-hmm. So they've they've propped it up, propped it up, propped it up. If they did it once and then they let it fail and and the kind of like free market kind of adjusted, the pain would be worse. But it, you know they could maybe manage. But now they've done it so much, the pain would be so bad that I agree with you guys. And you know and and to your point about the debt to, debt to GDP, GDP mm-hmm. how are they going to pay this off? So let me ask you guys this. If we all agree that that's the case, and we think this end result is like how that like the end result, we think we can see it whenever it's going to happen. But how they get out of this, we're not sure. What do they think they're able to do with where they're proceeding? When I say they, I mean the central banks and the governments, because they're not, you know, are they just proceeding to the end game and be like shit? Then we'll just figure it out then, because there's got to be some conversation, and they're thinking the same thing because they're not. Well, I was going to say they're not completely stupid, right? Some of them are, but they're, you know, there's got to be some conversation around. Damn, man, we've kind of backed ourselves into a corner, mm-hmm. like you said. Here's what we think we may be able to do to get yeah. out of it, because that's what I can't figure out. That's what I always try to figure out. I'm like, what other things do they have up their sleeves? I have my answer. Do you want to answer first, though, Tom? Or? To, I'll be, I'll be really quick. Yeah. To me, it's just more of. I like what more Greg said earlier. It's more of the same with maybe CBDC, so they can get get money to yeah, the okay. citizens directly. They don't have to increase the debt of a country. They can give Nick Caradza more currency. And CBDCs directly. for anyone listening: central bank digital currencies. Right? Yeah, which is so basically which a fiat, about. just no, yeah, distributed. It's digital, it's, direct it's, digital, fiat. it's digital fiat. But they can track it, okay? Yeah. Hey, were you at the protest last weekend? Because we saw you uh, spent some uh, central bank digital currency at a, at a restaurant in the thing. And, no, that, no, but oh, yeah. come on. No, that's, that's what, what it is, is right? That's what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. potential. Okay, are you, did you finish yeah, your answer? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, your, your question is, is very well-founded. I believe it comes down to the fact that government terms tend to be four years, <laughs> you know, uh, or eight years yeah, maximum. So they only care about that. Okay. On average, the global reserve currency lasts about 100 years, 
Where do you think the U.S. is right now? Yeah, we're over 100. Uh, we're right around, I uh, believe it's 96. Yeah, it I believe on it's around 96 years. Sure. Okay? And granted, the sample size is not huge. I'll just say this, guys. Time is running out. And mathematics don't lie. This is impossible to continue without fiat being continually debased. Okay, that's all it is. It's been debased. So, get for the last so someone listening to this to get started, really, because I'm thinking about Nick's point, where a lot of people are. You know, let's let's face it. Most Canadians are working hard, pay your rent, uh-huh. pay your mortgage, uh-huh. buy food for the kids, pay for some education. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not going to make this investment in Bitcoin or whatever. But you can really start for anybody listening to this. You can start at fifty dollars, at twenty five dollars, which I think is the beautiful part about this. Uh-huh. You can. I know you're going to restaurants and sending people. I don't know if you want me to tell you sure, people. Sure, sure, sure. You're literally telling people to go get a wall before the end of the meal and you're sending them some Bitcoin. You realize if anyone listening to this now sees you going into a restaurant, recognize you. <laughs> if I'm a waiter, I'm saying, hey, sit at my table. But but I think anyone listening to this, the message should be, you can start with 50 bucks. You, you, you can just get in the game over time. And I think now's the time because to your point, things are going to evolve quickly, I feel, with the de- de- devaluation of the currency because it's going to be more of the same. Where does your passion, I, I, I haven't quite picked it up, okay. where does your passion for all of this come from? Like you're, you're a banking guy who to me shouldn't be this passionate about this because your social network, your friends, a lot of people you know are still kind of in the banking sector. Yeah. Where, where does your passion come from? Uh-huh. This, this sounds like a, My, a life mission where you're trying to wow. kind of save, so save I've always, people. Thank you, I guess. Uh, my, my wife always says I'm passionate about whatever I do, and sometimes it gets me into trouble. But uh, I will tell you, it's for my kids. Um, you know, I, it, it's, it, I'm not altruistic, but I don't believe that uh, I'm going to be proud of the situation we're leaving our children. Uh, but Bitcoin is that solution, in my opinion. Okay, so if I can accumulate enough uh, of the pristine money that uh, I believe Bitcoin is, I think that'll give them a fighting chance in the uh, uncertain world going forward. Guys, I don't want the world to unravel. Get, let, let me be very clear about that. I do not want it to unravel. But every day that we continue down this path, we get much closer to the inevitable reckoning again it's only math i am not inventing a new type of math this is about as simple as i could lay it out our debt is growing faster than our ability to pay it and the fiat currency is is filling the gap but ultimately people are going to say the gig is up i don't want to be paid in fiat anymore i want to be paid in bitcoin energy companies okay think about this for a second Russia and Saudi Arabia don't like being paid in U.S. dollars for their oil. They're very valuable oil. When oil starts to be priced in Bitcoin, which I believe it will be. You said this before, okay. and I have to admit, before I was, now I'm starting to think, you know what? More and more I'm thinking you're okay. right. Michael Saylor is about saying the same thing, all right? Um, and he's way, 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 way smarter than me. Not that I'm smart. I just have this idea. I pointed out that Ford uh that Ford, uh, that Ford quote, I promise you Russia does not want to be paid in U.S. dollars. I promise you they don't want to own U.S. dollars as their world reserve currency. Bitcoin has the opportunity uh, from both being monetary energy, okay? It's digital energy via the proof of work mining function. It's the perfect solution for all energy to be priced in Bitcoin. And as all energy, electricity, oil, et cetera, et cetera, gets priced in Bitcoin, we're, very, we're that much closer to solving this fiat debacle, this fiat fake money printing. Modern monetary theory, in my opinion, is nothing more than flawed mathematics. 
modern modern monetary theory, there are some believers out there. My answer to that is why do you pay taxes then if you just print money? Okay, so I don't want to get into that. I'm not trying to be the MMT guy versus Bitcoin. MMT is very good for Bitcoin. I should actually be out there applauding Stephanie Kelton and, and her 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 views okay because it's good for bitcoin but again it's not good for my kids so i'm not doing it okay guys we need to take responsibility for our debt we need to live in our within our means and not kick the can down the road for our children so that's why i'm uh, okay that's very powerful stuff and i have so much more to ask okay. but I, I, want, I want want this one question then how sure. do we segue from a system you know, we, where we're in now, do we need to go through a, a universal basic income moment only uh, only to maybe somehow bridge the gap for people to, to let them have more time to catch on to Bitcoin? Because mm-hmm. I feel as, as things progress and the, val- mm-hmm. the de- de- devaluation of the dollar gets worse and worse and worse, could maybe that help people along a little bit? Because I just think things are going to get worse and worse for those who don't recognize Correct. what's happening. Look, so is there is there some value? Because I'm 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 not really a I wouldn't call myself a year ago a pro universal basic income guy, mm-hmm. but now I'm like okay, geez, this this is this is off the rails a little bit yes. in the next few years. Could there could this be a little bit of a, a you know bridge oh, to yeah. get over? Look, to it's the a next- bridge. They use that word. It's it's not a. Uh, it's a compassionate response. Um, I will just say that, uh, again, if you, one of the problems that, that I see, and we, I, I'm an owner in some restaurants in Montreal, uh, not a great business to be in right now, but it's a 20 year business. So it's had its ups and downs, but, uh, are you guys holding on? Okay. Uh, we've had our challenges, but let, let's just put it this way. It's, it's tough on me. It's really tough on my business partner who's been in it for 25 years and, uh, he may lose everything, but, but that's not the point right now. Um, when we reopened, it's since closed again, government lockdown, but, uh, when the restaurants in Montreal reopened again, we were having trouble getting some of our wait staff back because they actually enjoyed, uh, working for no effort and getting a, uh, a paycheck thanks to the government. So there's, you, you can't suck and blow at the same time, right? You need to, you need to, uh, understand that there's costs and benefits to everything. Uh, again, I'm a full blown capitalist. You guys, I am not. I don't want this system to fail. I don't believe that socialism is the act, the the answer. I think that, as Margaret Thatcher said, communism only works when, until you run out of other people's money. Um, I I think that that is uh, a good rule to live by. I I'm compassionate. I think that Bitcoin solves. Bitcoin doesn't just solve the uh, Armageddon scenario. Bitcoin solves any scenario going forward that I I foresee because. Ultimately, fiats are being debased. As I say, fiats melt. It's only math. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll start to wrap up here. But one thing, that the value I get out of Bitcoin for myself is that when I saw how hard my father worked in the 1980s, uh-huh. guy who was a refugee into Canada, uh-huh. Canada accepted him into this country, and he started putting up drywall. And he's working, getting up at 5 a.m. and working into the night, working in winters with no heating. And then he saved up his money, paid off his mortgage, did all the right things, saved up his money. And then the Bank of Canada publishes on their website that they're going to inflate the currency at whatever rate it was acceptable back then. I I look back and I'm like, geez, my father's time and labor was essentially stolen from him without him knowing he was doing all the right things. Uh And and, and if he he was lucky enough to save up $10,000 and say, one day, this is a representation presentation of my hard work and my labor and I'm going to gift this to my grandchildren yes, one day. Yes. 
when that representation of his time and his labor, by the time he gives it to one of his grandchildren, you know, it's worth, I'll do the math, we can do the math at 2% or whatever, but let's call it 30, 40 years later, it's worth a fraction of what it was worth. You're, uh-huh. you're essentially stealing from my father. And then one more thing, going forward for people who get into Bitcoin now, and this is where I'm positive on the future. I think that if people are able to save in Bitcoin and your savings goes up in value instead of going down in uh-huh. value, it may allow more people to express their highest self. And what I mean by that is you're not always going to be panicked on trying to invest any money you have or not lose any money that you have or you know work two jobs as a family because uh-huh. if, if, if you work hard enough and your savings goes up over time uh-huh. as you age you might be able to take more time off you might be act as a, able to act as a mentor to younger people you might be able to paint read write produce things be creative be innovative think and it changes the world instead of chasing returns and, and chasing income the way we are I really believe this is an opportunity to change the way we all operate and I know that sounds crazy. No, amen. But to me, listen. All I will say, amen. It's it's. Uh, in fact, I think you hit on a, a bunch of things that I was just listening to yet a, another Michael Saylor podcast today with John Valis. He 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 was talking about some of these things. Okay, um, I I know we have to wrap up, and I I wanted to hit two things here. Okay, since I was last year. Um, some very significant uh, uh, institutional investors have come out in uh, support of Bitcoin. Okay, I want to mention their names. Uh, Bill Miller, um, Stan Druckenmiller, okay. Uh, I've mentioned Michael Saylor. Michael Saylor is is the best, and 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 also the man that uh, put uh, 425 million of his company's money and 200 million of his own money. Okay, this is they call him Giga Chad. Okay, so uh, uh, until Mark uh, Zuckerberg uh, becomes Terra Chad or whatever after Giga it is, it's Terra or Tetra or something like that. Uh, Michael Saylor is the man, but uh, so Stan Druckenmiller. Now, I found a research piece that I'd like to share with Tom, and uh, I'll mention it to you guys. It was written in December 2014. It is one of the best research pieces I've seen on Bitcoin, and it's called, uh, it's written by John Pfeiffer, P-F-E-F-F-E-R, and he actually has a pretty neat um uh, YouTube video when he was speaking at the Irisan conference in uh, 2018, I believe. So you can watch it on uh, on YouTube if you want. Again, John Pfeiffer, and his paper is called "An Institutional Investor's Take on Crypto Assets." Okay, so he runs through the gamut of crypto assets and then basically comes out as a Bitcoin maxi, which I am. Okay, if I haven't been clear, I'm a Bitcoin maxi. Please stay ahead, uh, stay away. Until you own Bitcoin, do not go down the rabbit hole on Bitcoin and then go and invest in a shitcoin, okay? Just don't do that to yourself. Own Bitcoin, first and foremost. Do you play in some other stuff? I'm not going to tell you not to. He advises you not to, but his analysis on where Bitcoin can go and what is the utility value of money using scarcity, durability, portability, divisibility, acceptability, and his ranking as to why Bitcoin could become uh, the next world reserve currency is really thought-provoking. He wrote it in December 2017. Don't forget the ultimate all-time high in Bitcoin, all right? Um, This made the rounds of the institutional or the hedge fund community. Um, It's a really good piece of work everyone i would recommend you read the uh, at least read the addendum to the valuation of bitcoin why he thinks that russia and saudi arabia would encourage 
Bitcoin as being a reserve currency versus the US dollar. He nailed it three years ago. Guys, it, we're, we're, we're only 12 years in. And you said 2014, just to correct you. That he Did was, I say? So 2017. 2017. I apologize. No, 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 2017. December 24th, 2017. Okay, all-time high. He wrote this paper. Um, you say, you did mention, again, is it too late? Is it too late? It's not going to be too late, you guys. It's never too late to own something greater than zero. Bitcoin could go to zero, at which point the world is a good place. And I'm happy. Or Bitcoin could go to where I think it's going to go, which is so much higher that you don't even care about $5,000 increments in price. Okay? You just make sure you own some for the benefit of your future family and future generations. And that's all I can say. As a risk manager, which I've done for 30 years, if you own zero Bitcoin, you are being irresponsible. Greg, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I'm going to bring you back. I, I, I want to I bring you wait. back with someone else because we, we, you know what I want to go down is some of the rush. Uh, the, oh. some, I, I want to go down that rabbit hole a little bit with you. Okay. And one final thing. I just saw this. So I mentioned Jeffrey Gunlock. Jeffrey Gunlock hates long-term treasuries. He's the bond king. He's the new bond king. He took, it away, he took that title away from Bill, Cro Bill Gross. He manages uh, treasury funds and he hates long-term treasuries. Well, what's he saying? So I'm not familiar. Oh, it's just the duration and convexity. Oh, okay. It's just not worth 1.6%, yeah, yeah. okay? But what he did bring up, and this was on a podcast with David Rosenberg, our famous Canadian economist, he believes there's a greater, quite a substantial chance that the U.S. splits into two countries. Think about what that would do. North and South? Or the coast Texas and, and everyone else. Yeah. Texas or a citadel here or there or Utah, Montana. Because you know? of ultimately the path they're on and And the disagreements. Look, I've lived in the U.S. I, I love how passionate they are about their country. But today there was a trucker strike. Did you guys know that? Truckers for Trump? No. Mainstream media is not reporting it. No, didn't know. Truckers are on strike or certain truckers, certainly but not reported by mainstream media. They believe there are two camps down there um, and they are quite uh, quite ruffled right now, as you can imagine after the election. John, uh, um, Jeffrey Gunlock, who I believe is uh, also one of the most brilliant investors in uh, in the risks, uh, managing risk asset space, uh, he brought up on Rosenberg's uh, podcast, there's a chance that the US splits. And if that happens, is the US dollar gonna be the world's reserve currency? Not a chance, okay? Not a chance. Why is like Rosenberg talking? Why won't he talk about Bitcoin? I'm trying my hardest. You are. I'm trying if my hardest. If anyone out there is listening and knows him. I know. My brother works with him. I have I have calls into his office all the time. Listen, it's very Greg, hard. Greg, get in my car right now. We're going downtown. Where is <laughs> it? Where not, is it's he? not that important. It's not that <laughs> no, important. It's more it's important more, for your listeners. It's more listeners. just one of those fun It's more things. important yeah. for your listeners, okay? I'm not David Rosenberg. But I've also seen some things that David Rosenberg hasn't seen, or if he's seen them, he won't fess up to them. Okay, guys? I just tell the truth. I just tell the truth. Lots of people are paid not to tell the truth. Not that they're lying. They just don't always tell the truth. Okay? Love you Greg, guys. we'll leave it Thank at you. that. Thank, Thank you, you Thank so you. much. Thank you. Hey everyone, so hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Greg. Remember, if you want to reach out to him, you can reach him at Foss Greg Foss on Twitter. That's at Foss Greg Foss on Twitter. And if you want to reach out to us or get any information about what we are doing in the real estate market with investors, you can go to the URL www.rockstarinnercircle.com. That's www.rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for now. Until next time, your life, your terms.